you know, those twists, those, those inspirations, I think are what bring people back into the product oftentimes, um, because they see that it can do more, um, and that it can, importantly, that it can evolve with their team's needs, right? And I think a lot of modern tools, you end up kind of migrating from tool to tool as the team grows or the team changes. And I think that, you know, for us, those moments of transition are actually quite important. Um, they're the moments that, you know, the tool can evolve with you sort of flexibly. Hey everybody and welcome to Conversations with Bacon. It's great to have you here. Um, now, as I've mentioned on the beginning of every show recently, don't forget that my new book, People Powered, How Communities Can Supercharge Your Business Brand and Teams is out now. Go and check it out. But much more importantly, I am thrilled to have on, on the podcast Lane Shackleton. How are you doing, Lane? Doing great. I'm, I'm thrilled to have you here. So let's go through the rap sheet because you have had I think can be what can be best described as a not particularly boring career at this point. You've done a lot of things. You know, you spent some time as a at Alaska Mountain Guides and Climbing School. You're very involved in sustainability. You were with Sustainable Futures Australia. Um, you're a materials coordinator at Stanford. Um, you were an account executive that was focusing on branded products. You also were a co-founder of a wine. Uh, company that was uh, later negotiated a deal to sell to a com- to a competitor, and then you went on to Google, where you were a, a product specialist focusing on uh, Google AdWords and the Google Display Network, um, and then of course you went on to to YouTube, where you were a group product manager. Um, um, and uh, in addition to being uh, a co-founder at, at Home Team Wines, I can see a wine consistency throughout all of this, which I'm all in favor of. Uh, you then moved on to Coda, where you are the head of product and design. Um, so you you don't you get bored easily, is that right? You like to do a lot of different things. <laughs> Interestingly, I work on things for a while, so yeah, get, that's get bored. true. Lots of interest, yeah, yeah, lots of interest. That's a better way of describing it. So um, now, um, before we go on, just in the interest of full disclosure, my wife and I are investors in Coda. Um, but the reason why I'm bringing you on lane is not because we're investors. It's because I think Coda is just a genuinely interesting company doing interesting stuff. But let's let's start out with what is the problem that that you were looking to solve with Coda? What's the problem with with documents and sharing information? Yeah, good question. So I think the the kind of company started with two main observations about the world. Um, the first is you know despite apps sort of being created for every niche and use case you can think of, the world actually runs on docs and sheets. Um, so if you, you know, if you kind of ask anybody on like a Tuesday morning at 930, what's running in their browser, you know, you may find a couple apps, but more likely you'll find a litany of docs and sheets where the work actually gets done. Um, and that sort of leads to the corollary, which is that the docs and sheets haven't fundamentally changed in something like 40 years. And, you know, I think the starting idea was, what if we started from scratch? Um, so if you, if you sort of put VisiCalc, which is an early accounting software next to Google Sheets, um, you still see largely the same primitives. You know, the, the UI has been updated and it's been moved to the cloud and they've done other fantastic things. But, you know, fundamentally, it's not, it's not too different. Um, so that was sort of the first like starting observation. I think the, the second starting observation that we talk a lot about is, you know, every family, team, organization has a set of organizers generally. Um, and interestingly, they're kind of a, a diverse set of people. They're you know, the people that organize the family trip. They're the server at a restaurant who ends up building the spreadsheet because they don't like the scheduling software. You know, oftentimes at big companies, they're the people that run like the planning process or the goal OKR process or something like that. And so, you know, those, we, we end up, we, we call those people makers. Um, and we have a kind of whole gallery of full of docs that they've built. So I think, you know, with those two observations is kind of the backdrop. Um, we see, I think we see Coda as a part of a much broader arc, um, something that we call the maker generation. It, you know, started with people selling things on Etsy. You know, you saw it in early website builders. A bunch of us worked at YouTube. You saw it in creators making videos. 
the kind of underlying insight behind that is that, you know, all these are instances where a platform helps remove a gatekeeper. Um, so in YouTube's case, it was, there's no more like studio exec saying that this is a good show and this is a bad show. People just make stuff, right? Like they, they make, they make videos and the world decides whether it's popular. Um, and in our case, it's, you know, it's less that you need to go lobby a software engineer to solve a problem for you and more that, you know, you can go solve that problem yourself. You can go build a tool yourself. Um, and so, you know, the kind of underlying observation there is that makers are the people that kind of power everything, right? Like from families to big businesses, um, and everything in between. And that's a great thing, right? And so if we, if we can give them the interface to kind of build their own tools, um, to solve their own problems for their team, their community, their family, um, then the world's going to be a much better place. So that, that's sort of one observation. I think what's so interesting about this as well is you touched on this notion of, for example, instead of having to go to a, a software developer to solve a particular problem, for, for people who are unfamiliar with Coda, um, the way I would describe it, and you will be able to describe it far better <laughs> than I can, Lane, is you know if you imagine something like a Google Doc, you can go and add text and information, but it's largely static. And one of the things that's, that's awesome about Coda, uh, to use my business as an example, I have a, a table within Coda where I'm tracking kind of inbound pipeline you know, with, with new clients and opportunities. And then I can render that in different ways. I can show graphs or I can render it, for example, as a Kanban board that I use to track these different things coming in. And you can reference the same data set from lots of different places. And then you can integrate lots of different applications into Coda. So for example, I've got documents that integrate with my calendar and, and, and all kinds of different pieces. And what I think is so powerful about this is it turns, it's, it's almost like a document combined with an app, um, which is like an interesting, an interesting concept. But that's also a really complicated concept, probably for to explain to people, right? Um, how have how have you gone about kind of thinking about the? I don't mean in terms of the user interface for the user. I just mean ex taking. A, a powerful concept such as that, and being able to distill it in a way that's simple enough for people to wrap their heads around. It, it certainly um, makes for really fun, you know, product design challenges. I think. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> I think a lot of what we think about is sort of, especially in the early years of Coda, a lot of what we thought about is sort of how to take conceptually things that software engineers and software developers learn by by trade and bring those to you know, to a, a mass market and, and do those in a familiar surface. So like, importantly, the starting point is a document. And I think that that's, you know, the powerful parts of the product definitely get a lot of attention, but our, our intention is that you don't have to make something powerful to start. Right. And, and that's why we started with a document. We started because, you know, it's a familiar surface for a really broad audience, blinking cursor and a toolbar, kind of the universal signs that you can create. Um, and people know that, right? Um, yeah. But like you said, it can evolve, uh, and it can evolve to fit your your very flexible, very you know niche needs. And that's sort of the whole point that these building blocks can be kind of recombined into ways that we never thought possible. Um, there's probably a few things to say about this. I think one is there, there's a designer, John Meta, who I really admire, and he talks about. Um, one of the best things that a teacher can do for you when you're learning something new is give you a gentle but inspired start. And so this is, a, I think about this a lot in terms of, you know, teaching people Coda. I think, you know, our responsibility is to give you a gentle start in the sense that it's something familiar and that you can, you know, start writing, you can start writing your plans or meeting notes or specs or whatever it is. But then, you know, there's some inspiration to it. There's something different. There's there's a twist where you see, oh, you know, like you said, I can create a table that I can reference everywhere. Um, and those, you know, those twists, those those inspirations, I think, are what bring people back into the product oftentimes um, because they see that it can do more um, and that it can, importantly, that it can evolve with their team's needs, right? And I think a lot of modern tools, you end up kind of migrating from tool to tool as the team grows or the team 
changes. And I think that, you know, for us, those moments of transition are actually quite important. Um, they're the moments that, you know, the tool can evolve with you sort of flexibly. So it, it, it almost seems like there is, and I had this, like there's an aha moment because I remember when I first used Coda and like you say, you open it up and it feels like, it feels like a document editor. Uh, but it was only really when I started experimenting and, and playing and layering different pieces in that when I realized, oh, if I can do this, then I can see all the different Lego bricks that I've got available to me. Wow, there's all kinds of different things I can I can do. But it strikes me that from a product perspective, there's kind of a creativity gap, right? I often think about this with Zapier. Like Zapier is incredibly powerful, um, but you need to be able to think about... <laughs> about 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 what you can connect and with coda you've you, there's a lot of really great examples um you know one of my favorites is rahul vora who's been on on this podcast his product market fit which is more of an interactive document than just a blog post you know there's there's all kinds i mean you have something on 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 your repository of where you're showing how to build a sandbox you know um is that is kind of the examples? Do you feel that's a really fundamental piece of being able to get people to that aha moment? Yeah, I mean, I think I picked up on one word that you said. I think it's really important. You you, you talked about play, and I think that you know our, one of our observations is the best docs often. You know, we say this a lot internally. The best docs often come from play. Um, when you sort of lose yourself in a task a little bit, when you lose yourself in what's possible. Um, and sometimes, like you said, that comes from seeing other people's creations. And that's important. Um, that's important to anchor your experience in the tool to show you, um, you know, the, the creativities that, that others have expressed. And one way kind of tactically in the product that we do that is we, you know, we have something called drag and drop templates. And the idea is, you know, that, that you're sitting there in the document editor and you can just start to drag off interesting, you know, templates or examples to jump off from. And that was a very intentional choice to say, you know, you may not know how to compose all of these building blocks perfectly yet, but at least you can drag, you know, this over from the sidebar and see, you know, how it works when you enter some data to it and sort of how it comes alive. So, you know, I think the one part of that is inspiration. So can you, can you kind of see what others have done and then start to do your own riffs as you get more experience. And then the other is like, you know, do you just kind of get, do you just kind of get into it and does the system kind of build on itself? And I think that that's like one of the, the really beautiful parts about Coda is that, you know, one workflow will sort of logically lead to, to creating another workflow in there. And, and part of the all in one doc is that you can do lots of different things in one place. Um, you know, things that you didn't previously think possible. So I think that's, that's definitely. Yeah. It's, it's, it's also interesting to me that, um, Coder is challenging some long held traditions and principles. So for example, <clears throat> you know, in, in something like a Google doc, you have a document and that's it. And it, and it's all in that document. Whereas within Coder, you can kind of have, and forgive me, Lane, you're going to have to correct me on the correct terminology here, but it's almost like different views within the same document. You can have a document with lots of different, almost like sub documents within it, you know? So again, to go back to my, to my business example, you know, I have a tab open and it's got my to-do list is in there and my prospects are in there, my opportunities in there, my client list is in there, my content ideas are in there. It's all in one place. Um, which I'll be honest with you, when I first started using Coda, there was a certain kind of like squinting of of, of my eye at this. I was, I was trying to figure out, okay, I think I understand this. Um, but then before long, you, you familiarize with it, yourself with this. So there's kind of a whole bunch of traditions. How have you approached that? Because uh, there are, like you said, documents in many ways haven't changed for many, many years. And you want to complement the tradition while also being able to expand and, and head into a new future. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're we're certainly standing on the shoulders of some incredible, incredible giants with Coda. Um, I think one of the one of the things that you said sort of brings a, one of the principles that we think about to mind, which is um, kind of right versus familiar. So, I think this starts from the belief that the world kind of tends toward the familiar. Like most people stay in familiar tools. They stay with their familiar defaults. Um, they use their familiar hammers. 
And, and so I think in designing something like Coda, we have to be quite intentional when to choose the familiar pattern that's out there or when we have kind of a strong enough belief that we should choose a new pattern um, and that that pattern, you know, hopefully is the one that, that exists for the next 40 years. And of course, like that trade-off is, is always difficult. And, you know, when we choose what we think is right, there are always caveats, right? Which is like, we could be wrong. <laughs> and sometimes we are wrong. <laughs> right. uh, and then I think, you know, the other obvious one is that when you, when you choose to do something that's unfamiliar to people, you sort of pay this tax, which is that you have to, you have to teach them, right? You have to, you have to in some way indicate that this is a new pattern that they should learn. Um, and a bunch of these came up, right? A, a bunch of these consistently come up in the way that we design the product. The, probably the, the first one and the most obvious one is that I think back when Coda started, it wasn't obvious that all of these should be in one application, right? Like you, you said, docs are sort of a separate thing from spreadsheets, which are a separate thing from presentations. And that's, that was sort of the familiar pattern. So I think, you know, sort of all in one as a starting point was maybe the original right versus familiar choice. And then I think, you know, there, there are a bunch of others that we really labored over. Probably the, the one that comes to mind most is um, this choice between kind of spreadsheet-like grids and tables in the document, since you, you mentioned tables. Um, I think it, at first, customers were really asking us, like, can you just put a spreadsheet in the top <laughs> surface, right? Like, why is this thing? Why can't I get cell level references? And why can't I type equals here? And why can't I drag this? And, you know, at the time, I think Quip was kind of gaining some popularity and Quip had, you know, a spreadsheet in the middle of their, their canvas. And so that was one of those soul searching years for us where, you know, we had to sort of really go back and say, do we care enough about this table, you know, as opposed to the spreadsheet like grid? And ultimately, you know, what I think what we said is, you know, people are going to gain a lot of benefits from having kind of this relational database table, lightweight relational database in the document. You know, the most obvious one is that things we call uh, spreadsheet references, battleship coordinates. So things like A, A1 and A14. Um, you know, in many ways, that's that's a relic of VisiCalc and Google Sheets, and you know that's the familiar pattern, right? But I think you know our our choice in that moment was, you know, you should be able to references reference columns by name. You know, you should you should have something called tasks, and you should be able to read that as a human being, um, <laughs> and that's really important. Um, and you should be able to you know create tables that reference each other instead of learning what it means to do a VLOOKUP and. So, so that's sort of an example of like, you know, one example of making this choice. And I think that the right over familiar choice is one that we, I think we confront pretty regularly, uh, you know, in the process of designing this. It's got to be, I imagine as well that code is in probably a, a riskier position than many in this regard, because, you know, when you're, when you're building a business or building a product of any form, you always want to listen to your customers and your audience, right? And, and get a sense of what they need. But given the fact that you're building kind of a new future here, um, that's like you said, standing on the shoulder of giants, standing on the shoulders of giants, there is a risk here that your the feedback from from customers could be pulling you back into the past. Is is that like you say, staying with the familiar? So you've got this this balance of how do we deliver something that's familiar and approachable, but is modular and extensible enough that we can deliver all of the wonderful use cases that we want to deliver with Coda. How has that relationship with customer feedback been in that regard? Yeah, that's a that's a a, a deep question. Um yeah, there's there's always a trade-off uh of sorts um between, you know, your your longer-term vision for how the world should work and exactly in this moment what what a customer may be asking you for. You know, I, I think we're very fortunate in that even from the very beginning, we've had some very forward looking customers, right? And, and we've had some customers who have really bought into the longer term vision, uh, with us and, and really been partners with us. Um, and those are the people that, 
you know, in many ways have shaped what the tool is today. Um, and so I think we have to probably make this trade off kind of less than, less than some companies do, I think, <laughs> right. um, which is nice because, um, it's always, it's always tough to tell your users no. Um, but it, it's, it's certainly a balance. So, you know, there are cer- certain things about our product vision that I think are probably not things that we want to compromise on, right? So the table versus their spreadsheet grid is, is a good example of that where, you know, we had a pretty deeply held belief. Um, and it wasn't popular at first. Uh, but eventually I think, you know, it, it turned out that it, it's a good long term pattern. Um, and then there are other instances where, you know, we have the shape of a particular capability and we want to get it in the hands of customers early and, and let them kind of shape, shape the, the piece, you know, the, the, the edges of it. And I think that, you know, so many people in our community have done us enormous favors in terms of helping us shape every different capability in the products. Um, so I overall feel incredibly thankful for the community around Coda. Um, yeah. I certainly couldn't do it without them. <laughs> well, and the other angle to this that I find fascinating as well is the integrations piece, right? So, you know, we talked about Zapier earlier on, and one of the reasons why Zapier is so powerful is that it integrates with everything you you use, right? I mean, it's kind of the point of Zapier is you can glue these different things together that may not be already already gluable. Um, but um, that then kind of raises the other question of which platforms, which products, which services do you integrate first? Because that's work. And, and I don't know how Coda does this, but certainly from my experience, those businesses are un- usually unlikely to write the code for you and write the integration for you. So how have you kind of approached, like, what are the most critical pieces? Have you, have you been kind of data-driven? Have you just been uh, kind of pick, just picking some bets? Or how have you decided which of those services to prioritize? Yeah. Um, you know, I think, I think it's probably a combination of factors. So the two main things that come to mind are one, just listening to our users and straight up kind of getting a, a sense of in order to accomplish some of the workflows that they want in order to combine building blocks in the way that they want, you know, what services are, are interesting to them. And then I think, you know, there's a decent amount of it that's driven internally too. You know, I think Coda, Codens generally are pretty obsessive about their systems and so, you know, having a calendar integration and a Gmail integration and seems just obvious and like table stakes <laughs> for those of us that kind of run our lives out of Coda. Um, and we were, you know, we were going to be the first testers of that in any case and, you know, help, help shape it in some ways. Um, I mean, I think maybe the broader point on integrations that I find interesting um, is that when you take kind of a building block approach to integrations, anything becomes possible. So what I mean by that is oftentimes when people, you know, two companies do an integration, Jira integrates with Asana or something like that, you sort of like have to hope that the software developers and the product designers and product managers did the integration that you want. Um, and if they didn't, if they got 80% of the way there and didn't, didn't do the last 20%, then, you know, you're kind of um, in, a, in a tough spot. Whereas I think the thing that's probably quite different about the way Coda does integrations is that we we're kind of exposing the building blocks to you, right? Like we're, we're saying, you know, here's this service, it has this API, and we're going to take authentication out of it. We're going to make it super easy for you to do two clicks and authenticate into the service. And then we're also going to expose, you know, most of what the API gives you. So we can sync down your contacts, your email, your calendar as a table, and we can give you buttons to send Slack messages. And so we're sort of giving you the raw primitives, which, which means that you can recombine these things. So, you know, some of the most interesting use of integrations are uh, when you take two services and combine them together inside of a Codadoc. Um, which I think is, you know, makes it more important to kind of back to your question that we have a decent number of these services and they're all, you know, working well. Yeah. 
<clears throat> well, it also kind of begs the, well, I was going to say begs the question, but there's kind of a, the other angle to this, of course, is then who is that t- kind of target demographic and target audience here? So for example, for me personally, um, as a coder user, um, I, I care a lot about, I'm very invested in building like systems that are integrated and, and tightly wound together. So that level of of, of flexibility and extensibility is 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 ideal. And to your point, Lane, you know, there's many products that I use where it integrates with another product or service, but it doesn't quite do what I need. You know, I mean, to give you one example, um, I have a, a webinar platform that I use for doing webinars, and um, I want it to integrate with my email marketing management system. And there are certain kind of tags that are not exposed that I can use in tracking some of this stuff. So I l- completely get where you're, where you're coming from with that building blocks piece, but that's attractive to me as one particular brain. And I can imagine for some other people, especially people who are maybe coming a little bit from just very straightforward Google Docs users, they're using the, one of the reasons why they use Google Docs is because they don't feel like they need half the stuff that Word can do, for example, or Excel can do. Um, that could be a little overwhelming for them. So who would you describe as your target audience here, and how do you strike that balance between uh, capabilities and not overwhelming them? Yeah, I mean, I mean, in the in the case, the latter case that you mentioned, you know, our hope is that that person never has to confront the idea of you know dealing with integrations if they don't want to, right? right. Like they can just they can use this as a document. You know, there are plenty of people who reflect back to us that. You know, I use Coda because it has pages, right? It has multiple pages and I can organize my document and that's good enough, right? And, and I think that, you know, there's, there was a period in the company where I think we would kind of look past, we'd run past that, right? To the next capability. Um, and now I think we're, we're doing a better job of kind of appreciating that people, you know, who don't need that power, um, you know, are, are equally welcome, if, if not more welcome in the, in the product. Um, and I think that that's, that's really sort of an important starting point. Um, I think as it, as it sort of pertains to some of the more powerful capabilities in the product, like integrations, I think, you know, our, our broad goal is to make this accessible to a very wide audience. And, you know, that's, that's sort of the, the core choice of starting with a document is, you know, a very foundational choice, choice in that way. Like I think sometimes we get asked, you know, you have a lot of application like functionality. Are you an app builder? And I think my typical response is, you know, people often don't start their work in app builders. It's really important that people start their work in docs and sheets. And that's, that's sort of why we, why we want to be there as a starting point. Um, but if, if you sort of think about, you know, who, who our target audience is, how we go after them, our, our first, you know, principle of designing the product in many ways is it has to be, you know, flexible and extensible for an incredibly broad audience. Now, that said, we can, you know, shine the go to market light and shine, you know, particular efforts that we have on, you know, audiences that we think are important. So as an example, product managers are great connectors of people inside of companies. They often start work processes. They often, you know, coordinate broad planning events. They often, um, you know, write meeting notes. And so um, for a little bit, we've, we've sort of looked at that uh, persona, if you will, with some extra focus and said, you know, how, how do we super serve these users, you know, while obviously making the tool, you know, accessible for, for a broad audience. So it's, it's, it's a, it's a tricky balance for sure. Yeah. And one of the things that I think that is really interesting here is, so you've got, for example, this year of the maker, right. And there's all of these different documents and templates and guides and things like that for, to get people started. And I think that's one of the things that's really powerful here is you can go kind of go and see a document and get a sense of it. And then there's usually a button that says, copy this document, and someone can kind of t- make it their own and they can get started with it. This, as, a, as someone coming from a tech background, this makes me think immediately about platforms like GitHub 
So with GitHub, the code sits in your repo. And one of the fundamental principles of GitHub, of course, is that you can fork code, you can clone code. So derivatives of that of that code, there's there's a there's a chain that you can kind of track it all. It's genealogy all the way back. That it it, it will be easy to say that would be fantastic for documents with while being completely ignorant to the massive level of complexity that will be on your plate to make that happen. But where do you see the role of kind of replicating and copying documents? And then um, it's, you know, the, I guess the, the longevity of the template and people collaborating around, uh, you know, refining and improving templates. Cause it strikes me that these, these document templates, it almost becomes like an app store for different uh, business processes and ways of solving problems. Yeah, I think that's a that's a very astute observation that that this could you know easily become uh, a new type of app store. I think you know in in so many ways that's the behavior that we you know we want to promote, right? We want to promote this idea that you can come with an interesting concept and implementation of that concept, bring those two things together. And then other people can, can riff on it. Um, you know, I'll give you concrete examples. Like, uh, my friend Yuki runs product at Figma and, you know, created a great doc on how to, how to sort of run a product team. Um, the number of other product teams that are now running on some variation of that, you know, is, uh, is really impressive and, and they're doing really sort of impressive variations on that doc. And so one of the things that we often do is kind of show some of these to Yuki and let him incorporate some of that, that back into his doc. Um, you know, and importantly, those variations become unique to the organization, right? Like one of the things that's really unique about that doc is that, you know, it's, I think he, he wrote in there that it's, it's very Figma that like you can press the heart button as many times as you want and it'll just like accumulate hearts. Right. Um, <laughs> right. Right. And like that's very uniquely Figma. But like, you know, if you're running products somewhere else, like you want to create something that feels unique to your culture. Right. And, and we've seen lo- lots of examples of, of people taking that idea of like, how can I design my, process my you know tool in a way that really fits the culture and the type of behavior that I would like to promote within this culture right um, and I think that that's that's really the the beauty of you know people very generously taking their concepts you know their ideas putting them out there uh, that that you sort of get these variations like you said that become um, you know, become de facto standards uh, in some ways, which are which are really neat. I think in the long term, you know, there's there's a a really hard product question which you identified, which is, you know, is there a world in which we you can sort of merge some of these changes back into the the original document? And we have a uh, we have some people thinking about what what that future should look like. Uh, yeah, right now. Yeah, I just think that's that's so interesting, isn't it? Because one of the things that excites me about um, about platforms like Coda is that it then stops becoming just a just a collabor- just a collaboration tool, um, and it 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 then becomes a place with workflow and process for solving real world problems. So you can learn how to do it. Like I can imagine people going to Coda in the future, or maybe even today, and saying, "I don't know how to run a design process," and then I go in there. And I find that there is Spotify's design process in there, or or or, or Atlassian's, or whatever it whatever it might be. But then, how do you kind of like distill that workflow into a reusable piece that then someone can make their own? And that is a fascinating idea, you know. Yeah, I mean, it, the idea in general that people are sharing, you know, such precise and interesting and useful views of the world, you know, based on real accumulated experience, right? Like these are, you know, if you go in the gallery, you'll find people who have, you know, tens of years of experience at doing their craft. And they are the same way that, you know, writing a book in many ways is sort of 
pulling, drawing on a lot of experience and sort of summarizing. I think that's exactly what you see in the gallery. And I don't know, some, sometimes I just go in there and I'm like astounded um, uh, the, the sort of depth of thought that have gone into, you know, the docs that you see in there. And they're just, it's just full of sort of golden nuggets in, in my opinion. Yeah. I think it's awesome as well, because like you say, it's, I mean, anybody can go and, and read an article or a book to understand how someone does something. I mean, again, I'm going to go back to Rahul's product market fit. Like when I first heard about that and I went and read his article on first round, I think it was, that was interesting, but reading it on Coda where you can actually play with the data completely brings it to life. So, um, absolutely. Yeah. So, so am I correct in assuming that Coda runs on Coda? <laughs> like, do you no. lovely people eat your own dog food? <laughs> that would be a safe assumption all the way back, you know, to, to 2014 when we were, we were losing our own data for the first year or two. And then, uh, yeah, now, now Coda, uh, runs everything on Coda. Yep. And, and how have you seen that impact how you work together? Um, that's an interesting question. I mean, we, there's sort of two things that I think are really important about that. One, one is we, you know, we're constantly eating our own dog food in the sense that we are, we're testing the next version of Coda or, you know, the next, the next set of capabilities for weeks and months in advance. And so, you know, it's not often not too surprising how things get adopted because, you know, in some ways we were kind of the original makers uh, of, of documents and processes and stuff like that. So I think it sort of gives us a good, a good viewpoint um, into how something might be accepted in the market. Um, but that said, we're always kind of surprised sometimes. Um, and then I think the second thing is, you know, there's no, I was reflecting on this the other day, there's no tool choice conversation, right? Like I think that one of my observations is that, in many companies, there's like a, there's a constant tool choice conversation happening, like between recruiting and marketing and product and engineering. And like for us, there's like one substrate for the company. And, and that makes, that makes everything much simpler in many ways. Like it's, <laughs> you know, it's going to be a document. It's going to have like a few of these components in it. It's going to have a question moderator. It's going to have a sentiment tracker and you can just sort of presume that. And, and so, you know, it's it's sort of like establishing your own common language. Um, yeah, so that that's probably the two the two things that impacts. That's a great point because yeah, I mean, you get you get different. There's, there's kind of cultures within different teams who who, who prefer different types of tools, right? Um, um, and I think the cynic in me thinks uh, that will be great for a, a product like Coda to be kind of the, 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 cent the central language, the central place where people work together. But in the past when that's happened, um, that shared system that everybody has to use is often disliked because it just doesn't go far enough. Um, do, what's your thinking about how you, how you bridge those different cultural divides? Because the language is different. The, the workflow is different. Like designers are very tactile very visual in nature engineers are very programmatic in nature can work in a great room in a remote environment do you have any thoughts about like that cultural element and how it's used differently within different teams yeah i mean i think typically when you have you know i won't name names but i think when you hear like really you know vehement reactions to tools oftentimes those tools are fairly inflexible right like they have a the, the sort of pro of the tool is that they have a very strong perspective on how the, the world should work. But the downside is that um, it's a little bit harder to make it your own um, as a, as a designer or an engineer. And so I think, you know, the thing that one of the reasons I think that, you know, when we see kind of broad adoption in companies across like many different departments, when you actually go look at the docs, they're all very different, right? Like one is all text and it's all in a canvas and it's got a bunch of pictures in it. Um, and the other is all tables and it's got like really complex formulas in it. And it's, um, and so like, yeah, that's sort of the nature of a flexible tool like Coda and that like it becomes whatever the culture 
of that particular team is. And I think that maybe that's what distinguishes it in some ways from um, a little bit more of the like vehement reaction to a, a, a particular view of the world that some tools take. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And uh, Lane, I don't know if you or our lovely listeners can hear, but there is an alarm going off near my office right now. I'm not worried whether – I'm not entirely sure whether my neighbor is being burgled or if a carbon monoxide <laughs> thing has gone off. So uh, I hope everyone's safe. We can't yeah, hear it, though. But, so. I, you know, I'm, I'm obviously not going to help. Um, <laughs> so um, let's talk a little bit about, about productivity in, in general because uh, in, in preparing for this, uh, one of the things that I heard about – was your personal operating system for productivity uh, that during uh, the the shelter in place um, that we've been all dealing with that you like many others have been wrestling with work and kids um, and you you've you've adapted what you call your keystone habit to get things done when when the first thing I thought of when you said operating system for productivity was well is this more of a free BSD or is this like a Windows 10 or <laughs> <laughs> like well, what is this operating system for productivity yeah no it's I mean it's 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 fairly simple it's you know some combination of coda and waking up early to to do deep work but yeah I think you know like everybody I'm adapting to to life and uh, in quarantine and um, overall feeling feeling quite thankful um, to you know to have an office uh, to work out of and the two small kids are challenging some days but uh, it's all good <laughs> um, yeah I guess it, maybe maybe what's interesting about this is sort of how I how I arrived at this um, yeah this Keystone habit and yeah take I, us I back. Guess the, the, the phrase Keystone Habit, I think, is popularized. You may know this. Is I think it's popularized by Charles Duhigg, um, and the the phrase sort of means you know one habit that has like a cascading effect on the rest of your habits. Um, and I think you know m- my observation is like most leaders are obsessed with their systems for getting things done, right? Like you know, Coda's leadership team is exactly the same. Like we're we're all we all want to have the the perfect system to get get things done and you know it needs to run like clockwork and um and I think the other the other sort of starting point for this was yeah I think if you look at good design in general at a very high level it it starts with sort of noticing things, right? Like noticing your own behaviors. Uh for me it was noticing my energy levels throughout the day. You know, it you know, good design can start with noticing your user's behavior as they, you know, move through your application. It can start with noticing interesting trends, things like that. Um, and I guess the other, the other sort of starting point for me on this was like asking myself the right question, which was, you know, what's like the leading indicator of me getting a lot accomplished in a given week versus when I, you know, sort of just go through the week and feel like I got nothing done. Um, Cause I think that like the latter can feel quite stressful on top of everything else that's happening in the world. Like if you just didn't get anything done and the, you know, the world is in chaos, then it's, uh, it's not it's great. Sort of particularly stressful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Um, so I, yeah, I think I, I had two observations on that question, which are basically, you know, first when you have, when you have small kids, there's basically like two opportunities to do deep work if you can't do it during the day. And my, my schedule during the day is, is fairly hectic with, you know, demands of the team um it's either early morning or it's after the kids go to bed um and i think the the sort of second observation that went into this was you know i'm able to work in the morning at night but i'm generally like fresher and faster in the early mornings um and so so then the question becomes like okay so how do you do that reliably not like some days but like every single day like how do you you know how do you reliably wake up early and do deep work um and i i think the other thing I noticed when I was sort of reflecting on this was this pattern of like when lots of stuff accumulates throughout the day, you end up kind of wanting to stay up to get it done. And then that kind of cascades because you don't wake up early and then you don't get deep work done the next day. And and I feel like I've read like all the literature on like habits <laughs> and getting things done and all this. And it was like this really unexpected insight for me. Um, and it sounds like so obvious, but you know, there's basically like one habit that cascades into the rest of everything, which is if I just plan my week on Sunday morning, then I can go to bed early on Sunday night, which means I can start my week 
by waking up early, which means I get deep work done on Monday, you know, on Monday morning, which means that I'm sort of in that cycle of like, by Monday night, I'm going to be tired early. And so I'll go to bed early, which means I'll wake up Tuesday morning and do deep work early in the morning. And so like, I think, you know, (laughs) it was like a very roundabout process of figuring out there's like one kind of keystone habit, which is just plan your week on Sunday morning. And then like, that means you can go to bed early, which means (laughs) that like, you're going to get a lot done that week. And, you know, and, and I think so, so I think, you know, I guess my, my reflection and advice coming off of this was like, you sort of have to just dig deep enough until you find that habit uh, that cascades into everything else. Um, That's interesting. And of, yeah. and of course, like my, you know, my to-do list and everything else is, is run out of Coda and my calendar synced to my, you know, to-do list and it's, it's all, it all works fluidly. But I found that that one sort of change in energy, change in planning uh, made all the difference. That's that's fascinating. And when you say planning out your week, do you do you, to to what extent do you do you do that? Is it <clears throat> these are the general themes that I want to kind of dig into this week, or is it much more granular than that? Yeah, yeah. There's generally like one one kind of thing, one theme, one thing I want to get done, one big thing, um, and that's you know kind of oftentimes it's it's company wide stuff or stuff that requires you know several meetings or something like that and then the biggest the biggest change that I sort of made on a granular to-do basis recently was um actually I think my to-do list is in the gallery and it says like now you know tomorrow sometime and I just switched that to be days and so I would slot you know specific to-dos and specific days and that way I didn't have to feel like Oh, I, I'm not getting this to this today and I got to push it to tomorrow. It was just like, I can set reasonable expectations for myself that like, I'm going to this thing that, you know, I think is probably important that can actually wait till Wednesday. Right. And if it waits till Wednesday, that means I, I don't feel bad about it on Monday, which means I can, you know, stick to the, the deep work that I was intending to do. Um, so yeah, it's, it, you know, it's, it's a learning process for, for all of us. Right. It, it it kind of shines the light on as well. Just this notion of um, if you if you build a plan and you're able to get to something within that time frame, and even if it's not as quick as you'd like, I think so much of this seems to be about mitigating guilt, right? About feeling good about what you're doing. Right. And it reminds me a little bit of in the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People when Stephen Covey talks about the you know focusing on the things that aren't urgent but are important. And I imagine your approach here is is really powerful for that. For like saying, you know, I, for example, I need to sit down and do some reviews of the team, or you know, spend some time with members of the team that I haven't talked to for a little while. That kind of stuff would fit quite neatly into your plan, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I think you know, reserving space for those things in advance gives you some latitude and gives you the peace of mind that it is going to get done this week. Right. (laughs) As long as I can sort of keep that peace of mind, you know, on, on Tuesday, I don't have to be opining or worrying about, you know, whether it is going to get done um, because there's a slot for it. Yeah. What's your view on lists? And this might seem like a weird question, but uh, one of the things I personally wrestle with is I just, I like working in a very creative way and we all have lists of things we need to deal with email and to-do lists and whatever else. But I find myself more productive when I'm setting thematic things to do. Like for example, this afternoon, I'm going to focus on some changes I need to make to my website, right? Instead of making a list of all the individual pieces that I need to do, I sometimes feel like lists are very constraining, but other people thrive with to-do lists and lists of things that they can, they feel that sense of accomplished cranking through it. What's your kind of thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest thing is, is like finding what works for your psyche, right? like finding what <laughs> right. works for the way your brain works is like the most important thing. And so, you know, I, I guess I tend to be a little bit similar to you in the sense that like, if I can kind of inspire myself with what the outcome is going to be of a particular item, you know, my team's going to get better, you know, the product's going to get better, etc. I find that that writing a to do or writing a theme that way is much more inspiring 
than me trying to list out, you know, the 30 pieces that go into it. Cause I find that like once I'm in one of those, you know, in one of those themes, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, crank through the 10, the 10 little pieces of it. But I sort of have to keep the larger picture in mind that, you know, if I get this done, our team's going to operate better or, you know, the product's going to work better or something like that. Um, yeah. And it's fascinating, isn't it? Because I think we, I don't know about you, Lane, but we, I certainly go through kind of changes and this evolves, you know, it's like the way in which I used to work five years ago is very different to the way in which I work uh, today. Uh, and I assume that you use, of course, Coda for for planning all of this, right? <laughs> of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah, it's interesting. Interesting you say your your view has changed. Mine has changed as well. I used to share talks about stackers and pilers there. And I think like my my view, I used to rewrite my to-do list um, every day. And that was kind of an important thing to shuck off the baggage of, of the past. Um, and I've, I've since decided uh, to, to sort of keep them all uh, and then just aggressively delete the things that I don't think are important. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's always an evolution, right? And it's an evolution sort of in conjunction with tools, with your place in life, with your energy level, all that yeah. stuff. So, yeah. 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 Well, it reminds me, actually, I, I had on the podcast Ian Tien, who's the CEO of uh, Matamos. And one of the things that he said was, you know, really understanding like where you get your energy from. You mentioned that a few times. That was kind of mind blowing to me because there are certain things that you figure out. I really enjoy this and how you optimize and delegate, you know, the things that you enjoy less where you can. So, uh, um, Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Lane, for coming on. I love the approach that you take. It's so thoughtful. And I think that's manifested the great work that you and your team has done within Coda. For um, people who have not checked out Coda, go to codacoda.io and check out uh, the, the, the product. It's really cool. I'm a big fan of it. And uh, and I'd be a fan of it even if we weren't investors. I just think what, <laughs> I just think it's... Um, this is not a hour long ad. I promise you, you lovely people. Um, it's it's genuinely very cool and very useful. I run my business on it now, so um, awesome. awesome. Well, thank you, sir. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me on. This is fun.